Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today, we have um, a therapy friend of ours, somebody who the social media landscape has offered to us as a, uh, as a what's the word I'm thinking of? Like somebody who I guess we consider like social media friend, social media um, colleague, right? Yes. Out there I was doing, thinking the, doing word the good colleague. work, fighting yeah. the good fight. <laughs> He is. I we were just talking about his content um before we started recording. And I think he's doing he is doing the work in fighting the good fight. I think he's really offering space for the dads, which I've been saying a little bit more recently. Nobody's holding space for the dads and like speaking to the struggle of the dads. And then Ellie's like, I'll speak to it. I'm doing it. And I'm like, oh, beautiful. Thank there you, you Ellie. There you are. I feel like you like popped up in our feed, like speaking for the dads. So <laughs> today you're going to hear us talking to Ellie Weinstein. Weinstein, sorry. Um, he's an LCSW and his expertise is in relationships, parenting, and anxiety. Mm. And I think, you know, he has a podcast called The Dude Therapist. And I just, I love that he's just from day one been kind of, you know, waving the flag. Like, I'm here mm. to speak for the men. I'm here to speak for the dads. Um, and not in like a a way where he's like then not speaking to the women, but I just think like giving them a voice is so important, uh, especially in like the mental health area. You know, there's, there's, I mean, let's be real statistically, this is a very kind of female heavy industry. And yes. so I always love when I can, um, add somebody to my referral list as a man, honestly, because I get that question so often. Like, do you have any men therapists, you know? 
Yeah. He's got a lot of soul. And I think he speaks to things from, you know, a way that from a depth perspective really feels like he speaks the language to us. And I think that he's doing that around parenting in a really lovely way. And I just, I don't know, you guys are going to love him from this conversation. Really like him a lot. Okay. We have officially had to bounce around to get you on this podcast so many times. (laughs) Long time coming. Here's the thing. All three of us have little kids. So I kind of feel like if it was going to be anybody, you understand. (laughs) We literally were like, okay, wait, my kid's sick. Okay, I got something with a kid. We all took turns. It was a rotation. We all shared that. We all shared that. Parent life. (laughs) Well, we're so happy that we finally got this on the books and that we're here talking to you. Um, you know, honestly, Danae and I were talking before we got on and we were saying that we've obviously had a lot of men uh, on the show, but I was trying to rack my brain and I'm like, I don't know that we've actually had any male therapists on the show. Hmm. Um, and that just like stood out to me, right? As something like, finally, we've got you here. We want to pick your brain about some stuff. Thanks so much. You know, it's, I'm so excited to be here because I love your, I love both you guys individually and what you guys are doing together mm-hmm. and the content you guys are creating and the realness and the help that you're helping, helping so many people The help you're helping. That's a smart thing to say. Um, <laughs> and just the reality of, of what it means to be human and to feel things and how to deal with relationships. You guys are just killing it mm-hmm. on so many levels. So to be in this space is really exciting. And I get that a lot. Like, really? Oh, I've had men or, or we've only had, especially with parenting, like yeah. uh, podcasts, I've never had a father, who's a therapist. No. So like, I'm so excited to be in that space to create in that space and to be a a face of that space and take on that, that kind of responsibility on my shoulders. Cause it's, it's why I started doing what I was doing was because I didn't find people doing that Mm. on social media or talking about it. Um, And I got nothing against the, the moms and all the amazing specialists out there, but it's also nice to have different perspectives um, and different just viewpoints and it's not, you know, and different experiences that create, you know, our minds and our world. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm pumped. Yeah. I think that was something that when I talked to you, God, was that a few weeks ago, like the time warp, but that we touched on <laughs> right? Um, a little bit was just this thing of men holding space. And I think that that's something that I've certainly been challenged in finding support for my male clients and how much um, men just don't have a ton of space holders, a ton of people that are deep in doing this work of seeking and can um, sort of usher them through that initiatory process. And I think we were talking about processes of initiation, but before we go there, can you tell us a little bit about like your initiation into doing this work and how you decided to be a male in this field? Uh, You know, it's, it's a, it started because I was going to therapy as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was always a very uh, feeler. I'm a big feeler. Since I was a kid, I was the kid at recess who would like be the one in the corner talking to everyone, mm-hmm. um, you know, listening. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I don't remember what people said, but I was always that friend who like was mm-hmm. the quiet person. Well, let's be honest. I was not quiet. I was very loud. Still am. Very big energy. <laughs> um, and uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was seven or eight, mm-hmm. uh, was pretty obvious. Um, and the therapy world felt like such a safe place for me to go away from all of the school stress and the family stress and the stuff that was happening in life. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to help people, always been a helper or a healer in that way. And uh, medical school seemed a little too daunting. 
um, <laughs> as well as expensive. And my brain doesn't work that way. I'm not mm. good at retaining, like we said before about people's names. Um, I'm not good at retaining that much information to mm. just really access it quickly to help. So someone's like, you should be a therapist. Mm. And I had a great mentor in undergrad, Dr. Alan Perry, who was a huge, you know, molding of that perspective and what it means to be a therapist in his psych classes. It really was an unbelievable perspective to see what he, what it actually meant versus what we kind of thought. Mm-hmm. And I dove right in and it was, I loved it. I felt so in my space and in, in really in the world that I felt really comfortable. I never had a problem talking to people. And then it mm-hmm. was just, just that comfort and learning where my voice was as the years went by. Uh, and it's so interesting that you talk about the space for men. I've had, I have private practice for about two and a half years. This last year, I've had more men mm-hmm referred to me or, or coming to me through whatever avenues to start therapy that I've never ever expected thought would happen or have seen before in my practice. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting space because I'm so excited for it and also confused. I'm like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Like in my back of my head, I'm like, I'm so excited you're here, but this is interesting. Let's like, yeah, I'm so like, let, let's go right into it. Versus mm-hmm. like, I expect when, when women reach out, I'm like, okay. oh, okay, that makes sense. Right. But when the guys reach out, I'm like, oh, like I'm so honored and excited, yet also like a little like, oh, okay, who sent you? Like that's my first <laughs> thought. Who pushed you to come? You know, and it's, it's just an exciting place to be. Love that. I think that's there's something that's so interesting in the way that we're socialized, just in what you're speaking to, right? Like that if men are there, there must be something fishy going on. Who sent you? Why are you here? Um and two things I'm curious about, maybe you can speak to them in the context of your work with men, but like, first of all, what was that, that Dr. Perry taught you about, um, what it is to hold space for other people or what we're doing here in this therapeutic work. And then with the men, like, what does that look like for, for you and these men as they come in? So, uh, Dr. Perry was a very, and this is not, he's not related to Dr. Bruce Perry, just a, another, another Perry. Um, <laughs> no, his name is Alan, Dr. Alan Perry in, out in Queens in New York. Um, he really was about the human side of it. Mm-hmm. So he had, I, I just remember this very important story he said when he was first like, uh, practicing, he had someone come into his office who was actively psychotic mm-hmm. all over the place, screaming, yelling. And people were like, we got to medicate. We got to medicate. And we're trying to calm this person down. And he yelled at everyone to stop because he noticed that they had raccoon eyes, Mm -hmm. that there was blood pooling under the eyes and there was too much pressure on this person's brain. Mm -hmm. They weren't actually psychotic. They were suffering from a medical thing. They were suffering from something that was not the mental health side of things. And he said, we have to look at the whole person. We have to look at the human side of the entirety of someone when they come into your office when they come to talk to you. And just that was his mentality about a lot of things was the realness of what it was like to be a therapist, which was look at them, see them, pay attention to them and notice them for everything that they are. Not just, I feel X or I'm coming for this exact reason. Help me with this, help me with that. But the wholeness of someone or the holistic approach of of someone. And I remember that because he was like trained in the seventies where that wasn't a thing. So he was very anti whatever that 
style was or what he was taught in uh, his psychology departments that he worked at or the psych units that he worked at. Um, and he even told stories about when he used to start, he used to work in uh, forensics where he was mm-hmm. deciding on divorce cases and uh, very real things about a child's future with which parent they were going to be with. And he had to leave because it was breaking him because he saw the human side of it and not just the clinical side of it. Mm-hmm. And he was able to to tap into that emotional side to really connect with his people and show up for his people in a human way. So that's what I try to do with anyone that works into my office, walks into my office or through video or phone call, however we're doing it nowadays, is the idea of, especially with men, if they're coming to therapy and they've never really dealt with their emotions before or don't know even where to start, it's just sitting with them and getting to know them, mm-hmm. building that relationship from scratch. Because then once there's a sense of comfort and trust, and I think we should do this with anyone. But just uh, for the target of what you were asking, that's like my goal. When a, a man comes into my office and really wants to, I get this, I don't know where to begin. Or I know I have feelings. and I know I have all this stuff to work on. I've just never done this before. How do we do this? Mm. Yeah. So we just yeah. sit with each other and experience each other and talk. And can I curse? Is that okay? Uh, yeah. Okay. Like shoot the <laughs> shit and just... For the first session or two, just shoot the shit and just enjoy each other's company. And then it's like the third session. I'm like, okay, let's get into it. And then we just start. Then I start because now I have some rapport. I feel like sometimes when women come into my office, they're like, okay, I have this thing. I've already worked on it. I've read seven books. I've I've done a lot of the (laughs) backdrop of what I know I want to come into this space. Here's what I'm looking to get out of it. And then we just, of course, we build the relationship. Of course, we're doing that the first session or two. But it feels more targeted and like ready to go versus mm-hmm. someone coming and going, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing here, mm-hmm. but I know I need to be here. And uh, so I don't know, just, but, but Perry was the best. And he also had a great sense of humor about mental health. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, we would laugh and just enjoy just the idea of being a therapist and not take it too seriously, yet know that it was a very important mission in life. I love so that he I, I owe everything forensics. to him. That cracks me up because I, when I hear forensics, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of what we do <laughs> to a certain extent. And actually what's funny yeah. is my little sister is in forensics. Like that's kind of her specialty is where she's going in her work right now. And her biggest thing was like, she loves psychology, but she's like, but I don't really want to work with people who are alive. <laughs> she's like, I love the understanding, but I'd rather work with them when they're not alive anymore. I was like, fair enough for the introvert versus somebody <laughs> like me who wants the human connection. But anyway, I just love that forensics like connection, you know, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what I got a sense of from you, and I might've said this to Vanessa when we talked a few weeks ago was there's a very like depth psychology or even like soul centered flair in the way that you speak to things. It's almost like you're speaking from the soul space or from, um, you know, you and I got into spirituality (laughs) kind of a lot, but, um, there's a way that like, I really believe, and this is just sort of the way that I work with whoever's in front of me, um, that there's a way that we can just get so centered in our pathologies and what the things I've gone through have been that like, I'm actually not super interested. And I know that almost sounds bad as I say it, but like, yeah, that's the content of your story, but the human that is in front of me, can I be curious about you versus the thing that you've been carrying that you've used to sort of form an identity that is a little bit 
separate to me from like the truth of who you are. And I think that that is where our healing comes from when someone like really sees us in that space and is just interested in, as you just described, like just getting to know the human that's sitting in front of me with all, all the other layers that you've been carrying around um, about, you know, how you've carried an identity up to this point. Yeah. And it's funny because my two biggest mentors, you know, in this space was Dr. Perry, this other older gentleman, Dr. Stanley Rustin, who was just mm -hmm. very similar. He was like an old school person, but like such a humanistic approach, uh, like a very soul focused approach of his clients and his people. And, you know, it was just such an amazing thing that I was able to fall into their laps at the times that I needed them and the, the moments that really helped. Um, it was funny because Rustin uh, was there for like a year or two when I was in a clinic and then he like was let go because they were going less clinical and more paperwork in this clinic. And he was like very anti that. Mm. And they're like, okay, goodbye. And he was there for like 40 years, like 30 mm. years. They just let him go. Um, and he told me stories of clients that he worked with for 10, 15, 20, 30 years where he was a person in their life, yeah. not their therapist in crisis, but like someone who was there as support going from weekly to every other week to monthly to check-ins, mm -hmm. the clients would bring lunch and they would eat in their mm -hmm. office and just experience mm -hmm. life together through the stages of early relationships, kids, mm -hmm. teenage years, grandkids, like deaths. He was there. He was that because he was in, he was a part of their life as a human mm -hmm. and he saw them for who they were as a human and not just this number on a piece of paper or a to-do list on my, my calendar. And I always admired like that longevity he had with so many people. Um, and, uh, him and Perry together was like a, a huge combo for me and mm -hmm. two men, which was a huge combo right. for me as well to have those kind of supports was very interesting. Love that. Yeah. I feel like I kind of want to stay with the theme of men for a minute mm -hmm. if we can, because, you know, I think something Vanessa and I've talked about a lot is that, you know, and I, I know from talking to you a little bit that you do some work with couples, I think. And I really feel like there's a way that uh, our brothers are um, like maybe from the female perspective. And so I'm very curious to hear your perspective, but it just feels like as things collectively are shifting. And I, I do believe that there's a shift happening in terms of like a patriarchal way of doing things. There's a real sense that men are struggling with like, well, who am I supposed to be in this new world that is being created? What does that look like? What does it look mm -hmm. like to be a good man? What does it look like to be a good partner? And I'm curious to hear, yeah, your thoughts on um, what you're experiencing with the men, not only that you work with as clients, but the men in your world, like your friends and, and the men um, that surround you. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on men? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, we're terrible. No, but um, <laughs> small question. <laughs> You're like, I think, I think there's a massive change in the space that's being created for them to learn hmm. and to educate themselves and to feel. I literally just got off uh, with a client this morning who said that for years, he's been told to take his well of emotions and hide it. Mm -hmm. And now his current relationship is begging him to tap back into that well. And he's afraid mm -hmm. or scared to open up what that will be at this point because mm -hmm. he hasn't touched it. It's been kind of like he says that things are in a vacuum. I deal yeah. with things 
in an emotionless world so that I can get things done. And I can fix problems and solve issues and do my job. And he's afraid. And I think that the world that we're in today is, is giving hopefully some freedom for men to, to be afraid yet open up that, that space, that well of feeling. And I know for, for me, I'm in a, 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 I live in Vegas and I'm in a beautiful community with, with fathers who show up for their kids, who are there, who struggle like anyone else does and having experiences with other men where we are trying to create space or tribes within ourselves to show up, say, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? You look like you're tired, not just because your kid was up half the night, but you look emotionally drained. Mm-hmm. What's going on? And like, we're all checking in with each other or, and it's nothing that we've like thought to do purposefully. It's not something that we just said, okay, today we're going to all ask each other questions. It's something I think that's coming more comfort and and need um, just because of the world that is shifting, which is Mm. men being allowed or feel allowed to ask or comfortable to ask each other without being made fun of or put down or told whatever names you can think of, of like your weak weakness and, Mm -hmm. and stupid, or you're so, you know, how could you ask me real questions? And, but the funny thing I also see, and this is not a real world thing, but social media is the total extreme on the other side Mm -hmm. where there, I see a lot more like alpha male personalities, Mm -hmm. whether it's Andrew Tate or, you know, people like him. It makes me so upset and I can't stand that personality type because mm. uh, it gives such a bad name for what men are trying to do and be and hopefully can change or things of that where you see like on a, on a micro level in your communities and in your homes and in these places of men showing up for their, their people, for themselves. And then you see social media of like these alpha males, like seminars of yeah. beta versus alpha and the weakness. And I'm like, what, how is this not translating? Like what's going on here? And it is confusing uh, that that's out there, but I really do believe that this world is opening up to a place that is allow like an allowance do you to feel, feel like, to tap into that well. Do you feel like there's any kind of generational um, difference that you're seeing? Because I know, I know that you, like me, worked with adolescents for a period in the beginning of your career. And I remember yeah. when I would work with these adolescents and it was probably around like 2015. It was into 2016 when all the election stuff happened. I remember like actually sitting in some of the offices with my um, my female clients, especially, and actually crying together during the 2016 elections and stuff and mm-hmm. really holding space for them in that way, but also leaving those sessions and being like, y'all are the hope for the future. Like I had so many mm-hmm. boys that were my mm-hmm. clients and the way that they would talk about things, I just was mind blown, right? At the access that they were able to have to their inner worlds and the language that they were using and what they were talking about. Like, you know, I mean, I wasn't dealing with the typical like bullying and things like that, that we're we're trained to believe is what teenagers go through. I mean, these boys were coming in and being like, my friend's really struggling through this breakup and I'm really trying to be there for him. And, and I just was like, I don't know, the best way to describe it is I would leave and I would feel like they're the hope for the future, you know? And I'm just wondering if you've Mm -hmm. seen even in your practice, like a generational difference. Yeah. And, you know, I recently like connected with, uh, Zach Gottlieb, uh, Lori Gottlieb's, uh, yeah. son, mm-hmm. and, and he's really creating an amazing space. And I had him on my show 
and the stuff that he was talking about, about teenagers and what they're dealing with today mm-hmm. is never what I would expect. It's relationships, mm-hmm. self-esteem, emotional regulation and awareness. It's like yeah. schools need to start, first of all, start jumping in on that because mm-hmm. it's something that's really kids, teenagers are actually dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of it, there's so, I think there's, and I think we, we can see the same thing with parenting, right? There's so much more access to knowledge and awareness and understanding and research that we are growing up in a world of picking up on this stuff mm-hmm. and, and taking it in and then putting it into our life. Mm-hmm. And I think that my parents growing up in the, you know, in that age, there, it wasn't about feelings and emotions. It was a totally different place, but now the next generation or that next part of the world grew up in a world where it was about emotional IQ. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about it in their homes. They're being more cognizant. It's on the TVs. It's, it's out there on social media. Yeah. Social media has its negatives, but there's also positives that are being out there. And I think there's a huge generational shift of feeling, caring, wonderful men and the opposite, not that women aren't, but the empowered, strong thing that wasn't pushed back in the generations that's changing the face of the world for, for I think, greatness mm-hmm. and wonder for our worlds that both sides are kind of mixing and matching now mm-hmm. to balance out versus it being extremes of both ends, which I think is great. Yeah. The integration of that masculine and feminine energy. And I feel like even as I hear you say, I have a community of men that we're all just sort of reaching for one another and asking one another the truth of how we're doing. As I'm hearing that, I'm like, first of all, that's tremendous. Well mm-hmm. done, brothers. And I I do feel like that's still, from what I hear, like a little bit more of a rarity. Like, you know, and I don't know if it's maybe um, the men in the socioeconomic class that you're surrounding yourself with maybe have more access to tools or therapy, yeah. or I, I don't know what that is, but I think um, I guess I'm curious about like, as a man, how do you feel like that, that feels like something that's like, okay, or to organically do or accessible to you? Or do you feel like you always had it? Do you feel like someone sort of like ushered some of those men? Into, I guess I'm looking for tools for men that are listening and are like, I don't have that. Cause most of my I, male I, clients say they yeah, don't. You know? Yeah. I think I've, I've always been that way. Like I've mm-hmm. always that, like it starts with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one asking questions to people. I'm the one checking in. Like I'm the one, like, it's just, that's just my nature. I was saying like, how are you really doing? Are you okay? What do you need? I think those like a very, I think those three questions, I think men need to start asking each other. Like, are you okay? Which is, how are you doing in general? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. What can I do for you? If it's a chill, a hangout, if it's watching sports or just shooting the breeze or just chilling outside or just going for a walk or just nothing. You just need mm-hmm. me to be around. It's, are you okay? What do you need right now? Mm-hmm. And also what do you need in the future? But mm-hmm. I think it's also just having each other's backs. It's just that, that, that relationship of having each other's backs. Even if you're not asking all the time, like these friends of mine aren't, we're not asking each other all the time because that's not always so easy or not always warranted. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the depth of the friends that I have or the people that are around me. I, I want people like that in my life. So I'm finding, like, I have to search for those people. I have to be the one making relationships with people who have emotional depth, 
or who have who are not just surface level. And it doesn't mean that every conversation is some mind-blowing philosophical conversation about life and death and family and kids and values. But I know that they are people who think about those things. Mm -hmm. So for the men who are listening, if you want that, you have to create that from yourself and find people who can breed that mentality and that tribe. I mean, that's something that I think we deserve for ourselves. I mean, why would you have, if you want a certain thing, you have to create it. And it doesn't mean you have to create, you know, a Zoom or a, a a meeting once a week or once a month. It could just be, you know, finding those friends or or when you find them, you you ask or you talk to them about real things. And, and if you don't, you got to keep searching, but it has to start with you. That's the biggest thing I would say. Yeah. You know what I was going to say too? I'm thinking, well, you know, you obviously are a therapist and people are going to be like, yeah, well, you're a therapist. So it comes easy. And as I was saying, it's like, no, because I would say the vast majority of the men that I've had come into my practice, what has happened is as they've started to do this work, they've gotten deeper, they've gotten more emotionally in touch, you know, uh, kind of found the language, all of these things. Um, they have then gone out into their communities and not only has their their group kind of gotten smaller by mm. by choice, I mean, it's been like, okay, these are the mm -hmm. ones that I know can go there. And so these are the ones that I'm going to kind of invite into that close circle. Not to say that you can't have, you know, acquaintances, but they then themselves kind of become those way showers, right? They themselves kind of become the leaders in their communities where they then get to go out and create those small little circles like you're talking about. So, mm -hmm. you know, for those listening, it's like, no, you don't have to be a therapist to be the one to ask these questions, right? All people are in, in search of and in need of is, is somebody to ask the question really, be actually curious and interested about the answer and to hold space for that person, right? Yeah. And, and I would say it's, it's easy for me because I'm like that and happen to be a therapist. Mm. Right. It's, it's not because I'm a therapist that it's easy for me yeah. because yes. there are plenty of therapists that that's not easy for. Totally. And sometimes I actually get the opposite. People are like, Oh, I don't want to say this. You're not, you're a therapist. You're going to judge me. And I'm you're like, I'm me. off. I'm like, I'm off my brain. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not working right now. It's the yeah. weekend. I'm off. Like I'm yeah. just a friend, you know? And they go, because I am a parenting specialist and a lot of the people in my community, you know, have kids and um, they're like, oh, you probably think. And I'm like, I don't think anything <laughs> like like I, I got my own kids and my own stuff. You happen to see that things actually just worked out in this moment. But like you weren't here 10 minutes ago when there was a massive tantrum or 15 minutes from now where I lost my my shit because I was getting upset. Like mm -hmm. you're just seeing this microcosm and you think, oh, he's a therapist. He got it all together. And I'm like, nope. Yeah, it just. With the with the conversations, it's what it's what I ex want for myself, and it's funny because when I was a kid, I was always jealous of with girls mm. and their relationship with their friends. Mm. I was always jealous of that. I was like, I want that with my buddies. Like, I want realness. I want to talk about relationships, life, and not just be like, "So, did you see the game last week?" Yeah. or whatever ridiculous or whatever surface level stuff. And over the years, that wasn't accessible when I was a teenager. But I had like two or three friends that it was, and those are my best friends. Yeah. And, I, and I that, love, that's what I went after, you know? I love that you speak to that part because I haven't really heard, especially a man, talk about that element of using 
discernment in who I'm bringing into my world and who has the capacity to meet me in a way that I long to be met. Because I think so often we want to make people wrong for who they are and the way that they show up. And if they're not someone that can dive into the deep waters with us and different people have different capacities for, you know, a ton of reasons. I can be open and I can be really, um, modeling that it's okay to go there. Like I'm open to go there. I would love to have those conversations with you, but really building your circle around people who are also able to do that with you and are hungry to do that with you, I think is so important. I love that you spoke to that. Thank you. Yeah, it's just, it's something that I, I really feel. And I know even on social media, I've made connections with some male therapists that, mm. you know, we, we chat and talk and, but like it's realness, not because yeah. we're therapists, because that's what we're looking for. We are trying to bring that into our world. And uh, maybe we'll have a cool hangout like uh, some of the all those cool lady groups of therapists always have on cool social media. Groups. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know, like all these, you know, I'm talking about all these like these like cool <laughs> crews. And I'm like, oh, man. So maybe I'll do like a bro, a bro, a bro hangout in Vegas, you know. <laughs> it's needed. Um, well, so what about the, well, the parenting side? You know, like I, I wonder, too, I mean – how is that for you to be in that space? Because what you were saying earlier when we first got on was like, I actually am trying to rack my brain to know if there's anybody that I follow in the parenting space that is a man, honestly. Um, and and Dan get... Siegel. Well, mm-hmm. right. I mean, that's you know, it's 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 Dan Siegel and and but the, for this know, generation, have... most people don't know Dan Siegel. Like, I think that he might be the I know. one. You know, and, and he's very kind of psychology based and a lot of people know him in the psychology world. And I've given his book and recommended it to a million people, a couple of his books. Same. But, yeah. But like, that's what, oh one of the things that I struggle with when I first became a dad. So I had a massive panic, panic attack when I first became a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I didn't want it or I was freaked out by it. I've always wanted to be a father. It was just, I didn't know how to deal with everything. Like all the change and the shift and the emotions. And it's, and I started looking for like, okay, who's talking about this? Yes. And there, there was no one. And, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to post a real vulnerable thing about, I took a panic attack and it's been two months in my daughter's life. And I don't know what to do with my emotions. Mm. I, I didn't say that, but that's what I was, you know, talking about. And it was just interesting because it felt so comfortable and real to just talk about parenting. Mm. Um, and I love it because I love being a parent. And I also, you know, it's, real and honest and frustrating at the same time. You guys know it's like all over the place, a roller coaster every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But so many men feel the struggle of where, where do I fit in? Where is that space for me? You know, how do I find my voice? How do I find my place? Mm -hmm. Breaking habits of past, you know, of uh, how I was raised to be a parent or what I was told to be a parent or what I was modeled to be a parent versus Mm -hmm. what might be helpful, beneficial, in this day and age for parenting, it's an amazing space. And um, it's something that I, like when I see parents, especially fathers post about fatherhood, everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. When like moms post all the time, no, they're not amazing. They're just their parents. We're just not used to seeing that, you know, as Mm -hmm. readily available. Um, Even the terminologies we use about, you know, uh, part-time mom or, you know, all these things like, no, they're, they're moms and they also work and they're dads and they also work. Like, it's just mm-hmm. those terminologies I think are so unhealthy. Um, but that aside, when we see like celebrities like Justin Baldoni or like mm-hmm. all these men who are 
talking about how much the, or Dwayne or the rock, like this massive muscular man is, you know, dressing up and being all cute with his daughter. You're like, Oh, he's mm-hmm. amazing. It's beautiful. But like, we, I want to create more realness around, around the conversations of parenting um, and not just fatherhood, but just parenting in general uh, in a more real way, because we all deserve it. And we have to stop judging each other for the quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, missteps or failures, but really just be there for each other and show up for each other. Uh, in a loving way, because it's so hard. It's just so hard every day. Mm-hmm. So what? Is that was a lot of randomness, you? by the way. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I love it so much, and I think it's so beautiful and important. And I think I, I would love to hear your thoughts on what you say to fathers in early parenthood, because I think I have a handful of fathers right now with kids that are around like the six month mark that are struggling mm-hmm. in their relationships, and. I don't have a lot except a lot of times to empathize with the woman in their life, you know, to be like, listen, brother, she's like, <laughs> take a breath. She's hurting. Like, she's, she's hurting. in a cataclysmic shit. Love that. Listen, internal brother. organs are in all kinds of places. Just, But what do you say to the men um, in that space to support yeah. them in, in how to take care of themselves well and how to show up in partnership? Like, what do you, what do you say to them? Ali, I need some. So, Give us some I love feedback. that. I love that. Listen, brother. <laughs> Listen. The the biggest thing I would start with that, like the listen brother, like this yeah. is real. Mm-hmm. Like the other thing that I would say is they have to find their space. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean isolating or physical space. Mm-hmm. I mean their mental space, their emotional space within the the unit. Um, I know for me the biggest thing, and I suggest this to every parent unit, time off or yes. paternity leave changed my relationship with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Because my daughter was born. My wife jumped in. She killed it. She was amazing. She was unbelievable. And I was so locked into her like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm a therapist, postpartum. Let's pay attention. Is she okay? Right. And I wasn't finding space for me emotionally mm-hmm. to be in that space, to feel my feelings and let my stuff come out or um, to lock into my own, my own things that I needed to show up for myself or just be a part of, I wasn't present. I wasn't like showing up within it. I was so everywhere else. And when I was on paternity leave, it was just me. My wife wasn't there. It was just me. I had to be present. I had to pay attention. I had to focus on this beautiful being that was in my lap who like softened me, even though it was always soft, but like really made me feel my stuff. And I say this often, and I know there's a common thing, like parenting is like the biggest mirror to yourself. We're like shined a light onto what I needed to pay attention to, which was me. Like it was looking at me and asking for me for love. I'm okay. I got to be loving, right? Uh, how? And then I learned my voice. I learned my style of changing diapers, bedtime. I found that I'm really good at doing stupid voices um, to make my kids laugh and really be silly. Well, my wife might not be that way. Not that she's not silly, but she might not have access to that as easily. Um, I might be comfy in one ways versus another. I might be able to throw my kids in the air and catch them. And my, my, my like, I had to find my things that was my energy towards my kids mm. and not try to be the same as my wife and mm. match her what she was doing. Cause that's not me. Yes. Right. So I have to, for all the men out there in the, in their, in the beginning stages, you got to find what is you. And, it, and I'm not talking about style of parenting. I'm not getting into right or wrong or what to right. do, just the energy and the emotional space that you find with your kids. You got to find your space because then you feel confident, you feel Mm -hmm. successful, you feel powerful, you feel fulfilled within the relationship. 
And then a lot of the times the biggest, the biggest struggle that I see with relationships when it comes to parenting is if you're a first parent, first time, you have no idea what the hell you need. You're all over the place trying to survive. So the biggest thing that comes up is I don't even know what I need. And I don't even know how to ask for my needs because I don't even know what I want. So a lot of the arguments come from, I'm just really overwhelmed and I'm just going to let it out. And then people just fight and argue and vent. And then the second kid throws a different loop of, I thought we knew what we were doing. I don't know what I'm doing anymore, which is what happened to my wife and I. Our second kid threw, our daughter was sleeping, was great. My son just threw everything out the window. We're like, we got to start from scratch. I thought we had, you know, I thought we had it down. We don't. So then it's reassessing that. So I think the biggest, the first thing is finding your space emotionally um, and your connection and, and within the unit and relationship. And second is really testing what you need. Asking those three questions again, are you okay? What do you need? And I keep forgetting the third one for some reason. <laughs> I know it was three. It was, how, how are you doing? How are you doing in general? Are you okay right now? And what do you need? And if the answer is, I don't know, then your answer is, well, I'm just going to be here for you. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit here with you. I'm going to be here with you. And when you, when you are ready or you do know what you need, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I got your back. I'm going to show up. And when I know what I need, I'm going to let you know. And it might not sound pretty. It might not be perfectly said. But when I know, I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. But those three questions is a good check-in every day. I know it might seem tedious or annoying, but how are you doing? Are you okay? What do you need? Mm-hmm. It's just really important things to ask, in the be- especially in those beginning stages, because it is just everything's chaos. hitting the fan at once. It's just chaos. <laughs> chaos. It's just I cannot believe we survived. I think you posted something about like in alignment with those questions, um, like a couple of weeks ago on your page. And I was like, I just love that so much. It's just, I, I got to really give a beautiful. shout out, but it wasn't for me. It was from, <laughs> it was from Ryan Clark on the pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like an ex NFL player mm-hmm. um, yeah. for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they've created this space for like these three guys to really talk about real things with, with male athletes mm. um, on this, the show, the pivot it's called. And he, like, it was like a year anniversary of their show or something. And he's like, he asked those three questions to his, his, uh, whatever his co-hosts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was genius. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like men asking real things to each other and actually caring and mm-hmm. listening. And so I'm like, I gotta, and I, and I, I of course gave him a shout out on the post, but like, it's something that I really push a lot because I think it just, it really clicked. Like we should ask those questions. It's not a hard thing. So shout out to him. Yeah, I think too, and I feel like I've had this conversation with other moms. I know that Danae has had this conversation with me, um, and it's something that we have to like work at. Hang on, tickle my throat. <clears throat> I think something really important for women, like if we're talking in heterosexual couples here, is giving the man the space to be able to find that space. Right? I think so often what happens is that. And I know I saw it in myself. I still see it myself sometimes. It's like we get very kind of like protective and very like, you know, it's not my way, so it must be wrong. And we want to kind of micromanage. And and part of that is survival, okay? Part of that is also kind of how we're socialized, I think, as moms to like do it all. But we can't not allow the father the space to find their space and their relationship with their child and then be upset 
when they don't have that kind of solid bond with their child, right? Like we also have to be an active participant in that because we can't, um, we can't just like relegate or delegate rather, like, here's what you get to do as a parent. I've got everything else. And then be upset when they're not like leaning in and actively participating unless they're told to do something, you know? Yeah. I, I love that. I call it, I call it the push out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a thing, but it's like the natural one. Like I said, in the beginning of stages, who's there? Who's, who's the one who has off, who has the time off the, the, in a heterosexual relationship, the mom, mm-hmm. right? The mom. So they're the ones who are getting like their rhythm and figuring out their pace to how this works while the guy is not there during that rhythm or during that cycle to figure out bedtime routines, you know, all these things. Then it adds that also, of course, unfortunately adds the mental load mentality of, of, of moms and women of all the things to keep track of because they're there, you know, figuring it out or the doctor's appointments and all the medicines and the shots and all the things. And then the guy comes in and comes home and goes, okay, I'm here. And then pops in. And it's like, if, if we give someone and then it's like, no, but I know what to do. No, I got it. Or here's how we do it. Here's how I've been doing it for six weeks. You know, all the kind of mentality, if we kind of step back and let them not fail, because of course we're not a failure in parenting is, is, you know, un, un, you know, hurt and abuse and pain and <laughs> yeah. death. We don't, want um, we don't want that. But we're talking about like missteps of, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. I put the diaper on backwards or mm-hmm. I fed them a food when they, I want them to figure it out, you know, or whatever little things when we hover and watch over yeah. and comment, it makes someone feel we're pushing them away from finding their own space. If we stop commenting and we sit back and let them it creates this wonderful place where you don't have to do also mm-hmm. you, you can yeah. entrust someone to take care of things and, and do bedtime and, and figure things out. It's like what I say also with parenting in general is we need both parents. If, if there are both parents involved to learn how to do everything, mm-hmm. because if you don't feel well, I can step up if I don't feel well, or if I'm tired or I'm burnt out or I had a long day. Recently, my, like my, my daughter's been obsessed with my wife putting her to bed. She it used to be me for like a year and I love it. I love bedtime. Mm-hmm. It's quiet. <laughs> it's like connecting. Of course, when it goes wrong, then it's like the worst moment <laughs> of your life. Um, and it's like, go to bed, like go yeah. the F to bed, please stop it. <laughs> um, and there was one night where my wife was just really had a long day. I knew exactly what songs we sing. Mm-hmm. I know what we do. I know the mm-hmm. pattern. I know the bedtime routine because I'm there paying attention, involved, have done it. So it's not, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I can't. Or yeah. I can say, yes, babe, I got this. Go. I'll take care of, of I call her Rickster. I'll take care of Rickster and I'll put her to bed because I know I, I'm involved. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that I normally do, my wife can be like, oh, don't worry, Ellie. I got this. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of it. So I think when both people have this mutual respect and responsibility of everything, now, of course, that's very idealistic and hopefully we can do our best. There's, there's, there's no one burden on one person. Everyone shares that. And parenting has to be a shared responsibility so that we all can get it done and figure out our own thing within you know, the structure of what works and what doesn't. It's such a dance with that respect that you're talking about because, you know, the push out that you're talking about a little bit, what V is speaking to, what I see so often is that there's this thing of like, 
women are almost looking to the men in their life and heteronormative dynamics for leadership, but then really not trusting in his leadership. And then it becomes this thing of like, you know, some of what I loved so much about what you were saying is there's a sense of self that comes when I develop like, no, these are the strengths that I know that I have as a parent. This is what I bring to the table. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm clear about it. And that to me is like across the board, what I see missing in so many of the men collectively is just like nobody teaches men how to really like be grounded in a sense of like this is who I am I'm not apologizing for it I'm not looking to you know my wife to lead me into who I need to be in this world because I have a sense of who I am in this world and I think absolutely like parenthood can be one of those spaces Stan Patkin was on a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how you know a lot of times parents don't come up with a plan ahead of time and then they're like shocked by the level of overwhelm and you kind of have to say like how are we going to divide and conquer this what is Mm -hmm. this going to look like and of course there's going to be surprises but a little bit like that this is like a tag team thing and we're both in this but yeah I think that that thing you're talking about where like just like really identifying my strengths and like no, I know I'm good at this, and this is what I do that mom doesn't do and i'm I'm not apologizing for the way I show up in this, you know, yeah, we all have our abilities, but even you had Connor on a couple of weeks ago also who's like creating mm-hmm. an amazing space for men also mm-hmm. that just really is just teaching and grounding of of self confidence and knowing what it means for them to be vulnerable and to be what they feel is men mm-hmm. and and Stan is awesome also. I don't know why I called him Stan. I don't know him. Um, good old Stan. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> yeah, Stan. Good old Stan. I don't know. I don't know. Well, his name is Stan. Yeah, I know. But like, you know, first name basis, me and Stan. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to have a game plan. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I always like, I never like game plans for parenting because everything hits the fan. And it's like, mm-hmm. when you're preparing to be a parent, you don't know anything. Yeah. And like, when we were not parents, you know, we went through infertility and IVF and that whole that whole journey. But when you watch other parents, we'd be like, "Oh, they don't know what they're doing. Look at this ridiculous!" Like, you know, you make all those commentary, <laughs> yeah. and then you're in it, we and you're like, so many "Oh crap, I'm doing the same thing." Totally. And like, I was just making fun of that like a year ago. Yeah. But you can make all these plans, but each day and each kid brings a different like a game plan. Mm-hmm. It's like to me, like I know I'm going to use a sports reference classic, but like th- football, every Sunday is a different a different team. Mm-hmm. So you have to change. You have to change your your game plan for that Sunday. It can't just be, well, we played really well last week, so we'll try it again. Yeah. Like, I think, it doesn't work out that way. I think that's real. But I also think what men don't have and why I think the space that you and men like Connor are creating is so important is men don't have elders that are saying, yeah, this is what this is. And now yeah. when she's doing this, do this, right? And yeah. I do think we as women have more of that, you know, like spaces for elder women yeah. or even women who've walked this path to be like, yes, absolutely. This is completely normal. And Take a deep breath. I remember asking my dad for advice about it. And he, and I love my dad to pieces. He's a beautiful human being. Hmm. He was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, he didn't change diapers. My father didn't change yeah. diapers. He did vomit though. He, 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 <laughs> my mom couldn't do vomit, but my vomit. dad, my dad did not change diapers. I remember years yeah. ago, my daughter like had a massive poop explosion. And I was on a therapy session. I was, I was, we were there for something and he texted me, I need you upstairs right now. He was watching her for literally 45 minutes or 50 minutes. Like a, and I come up and I, I, it was a client that I worked with for like two years. We had a good relationship. I'm like, Hey, Bob, I call my clients, Bob. I go, Bob, I got to call you back later. There's a a poop emergency upstairs with my, my daughter. Most awkward thing I've ever said in a therapy session. 
not awkward. This is funny. She's laughing. I'm laughing. I go upstairs. My dad is holding my child. There was poop everywhere, and he just and, and he gives me the baby and runs away. <laughs> he went upstairs to shower. He just he could not handle it. So when I ask him advice, it's coming from like it was a crazy. There was in her eyelids. I don't know how she got poop everywhere. Oh my god! Let's just say a silent prayer for all the people in early <sighs> parenthood who are still. <laughs> Poop explosion! Right oh now. My we gosh. call them blowouts, but when you're like, I don't even know what to do with you. He didn't know what to do. He was just holding her at a distance that so wouldn't get, stories. and it was all over the couch. But like, I can't. When I ask him, <laughs> I don't, I don't have a good reference point. You know, I don't have a oh good reference God. point because he's like, we just, I don't know. Yeah. Ask he your never mom. Did it. Ask your mom. Yeah. Ask your mom. So I asked my mom, and she's like, I don't remember. It was <laughs> it forever was 40 ago. Forty years ago. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is all true. So it's just nice when people who are in it are telling you realness, but being loving and compassionate. You know, this last weekend we had friends over and the father and mother were just talking to us about, and she said, I'm so glad that we're not the only ones Hmm. dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, of course you're not. Like every parent is struggling with bedtime or getting out of the house in the morning or tantrums in a public place, right? All those things. It's just so funny when you finally hear someone like, oh, thank God I'm not alone. It's not just me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can't really ask my parents. I have so many more stories of my father just being ridiculous that way. And he does, um, he loves my kids and he's like an amazing grandfather. Um, but, like, it's just so silly that, like, I can't, I can't ask him because that's his reaction. It's like, yeah. But I also think that even in that, like, the elders, like, Danae, you were my elder, right? Like, you had mm-hmm. a kid two years before me and that was just enough where you were still in it. But it was, it was, you were still very fresh in it, you know, but you had moved past the stages that I was in currently. And so we're able to kind of guide me through like, okay, this is normal. Here's what I experienced. Right. Um, And so even in parenting, yeah, I mean, ideally I would, similar to you, Ellie, I'd love to have those kind of elders. And yet same thing with my mom. It's like, I don't remember. I mean, it was so long ago, you know, that sometimes to me, the elders I look to are the ones that are only like two years ahead of me. That's to me, it was my brother. That's to me, Ellie. My bro- that's, to me, yeah. to me, it was my brother. My brother's yeah. six years older than me, mm-hmm. um, and I called him. And I gotta say, my brother and I have a great relationship. He's a classic, like you know, guy where he doesn't talk about his feelings stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we don't, we're not very like talkative to each other. But I know that if I needed something, he would be here in a heartbeat, and I would be there mm-hmm. for him. And when I had issues or struggles, our relationship got so real. Mm. But I, after I got married and after I had kids, because now we were kind of equals, mm-hmm. we were in this stage of like, okay, I'm married also. Yes. A few years before you. Okay. I got kids. Um, you know, my, my nephew was, I don't know, he's, he was probably five or six when my daughter was born. Okay. Now you're a parent also. Now there's another connector. So when I had real questions about fatherhood, I can talk to him and he would give me real answers because it was a real question coming from connection. Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, neither do I, but I can tell you what I tried. <laughs> but like, that was very beautiful for me to have that ability to connect with another man yeah. who was in it, who also happened to be my brother. So it was like really nice to have that kind of elder um, as well. So it's fun yeah. times. Beautiful. Well, Ellie, we could just talk about blowouts all day and laugh my pants off. I have so but, many more um, stories. You know the night blowouts, you know. I wanna make I wanna make a game. I don't know why. I wanna make like a, a stupid game. Like you know these these uh game shows? 
of waking someone up in the middle of the night and having them do the tasks that parents oh, have to do yeah. and see like, like with a no sleep, show. like how you can like change a diaper in the dark when you don't know where the poop is. That's impressive. That's without waking like up the kid idea. and getting them back yeah. to bed, you know, like, you know, just realness, <laughs> real, real game shows. I would not watch that show, but I'm sure someone (laughs) (laughs) Why are we watching this? (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we have a lightning round of questions that we ask all of our guests. So the first question, Ellie, is who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, or people that have impacted your point, your point, your path, (laughs) your path up to this point? Yes. Um, So I would say I'm going to go with a little family and a little um uh you know some professors um my grandfather mm-hmm. uh died when i was 13 years old and the way he presented himself to the world and the way he showed up for people how he was kind yet real uh, he was like this four ten five foot one little man um mm-hmm. i'm six foot two we're not the same um <laughs> was something that i always when he walked into a room the way he connected with people was something I always admired about him. The way he helped people feel seen in every conversation and really just showed up for every person when he talked to them was something that I, I try to model. Something I even think about, what would my grandfather think mm-hmm. when I do something, right? It's something that is a huge um, part of my, my mentality. Um, I would say that Professor Perry, the person that I, I mentioned in the beginning of, of the show, um, and uh, I had another professor, Dr. Koch, in Fordham in grad school, who was just this light of a human being um, in the world of, of darkness of therapy sometimes. And he was like a clinical professor who really just, just made us see what it was like to be a a therapist in the beauty of it, even though it can be so hard Mm -hmm. and so real. Um, And uh, I would say uh, my kids, my kids and my wife are a huge part of my journey. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for the support that my wife gives me with all my ridiculousness and, you know, silliness and sassiness and my kids just keeping me grounded, I think is a beautiful place that uh, I really go back to as a source of a lot of uh, inspiration and motivation. So this concept of flow, right? I mean, this thing that you find yourself in where you kind of blink your eyes and an entire day goes by. um, What is that for you? Like, what are you doing when you find yourself in flow? Well, uh, for me, it's this, for me, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's podcasting. Uh, it happens once in a while as a therapist where I'm mm-hmm. like really in uh, a beautiful place with a client and we're getting into some real stuff, but I feel it when I'm, I'm speaking to colleagues and people who I admire like yourselves and, and talking about things I love and care about, I will at the end of this, not know what I just said <laughs> because I'm yeah. so in it. And so in the moment, I'm not thinking about what I need to say or want to say but how I'm saying it or what it just comes through me. And uh, that sounds weird. Um, But in the idea of it, when it's public speaking or doing podcasting or podcasting myself and talking about mental health and, and, and relationships and parenting in such a real way, I come off the chair and I'm like in like a floating state. I can't explain it. It's something that I feel my full self and it's why I love doing it. It's why I love being in this space and hoping to create more space for that and impacting in a bigger, bigger platform because it's something that I feel my full self, which is something that we all deserve to feel. And it's a, it's an amazing thing. Beautiful. And what breaks your heart, Ellie? What breaks my heart? Oh my gosh. 
Um, <laughs> many things, many things. I would say it's when, um, especially with my kids, when I can't help them, mm-hmm. like they're struggling, uh, whether it's my daughter with a friend and she just having this love-hate relationship with a friend and I can't do anything about it. There's nothing I can do, but she's just feeling her feelings. Um, what breaks my heart is uh, suffering in people that I, I hope I, that I'm, I'm working with now, that mm-hmm. it's uh, the work that I'm doing is, is not there yet or not enough yet but they're just in the beginning stages of their healing process and break my heart for myself would, uh, would be if I don't feel like I'm impacting the way I hope to, or I'm not feeling like I'm doing enough, whether it's time access space or financially. Mm. Um, those are kind of the things that, that break my heart sometimes. Mm. And the last question is the doozy question. What is your favorite food? Oh, any Meatball and spaghetti, oh, but any it's a like meat. It's a New Yorker thing. I know, <laughs> I know, but like any meat with like a carb. So like, I don't know. I'm very big. I don't know. I'm very. I don't know why. You can psychoanalyze me if you want. I'm very big on bowls and spoons and mixing the food together and like having that one bite of the flavors. Respect. So whether it's like chicken or or with a rice and you mix it all together and like add your sauces. I don't know, but like, Today I also loves love a good soup. bowl. I love soup also. Yeah. I love soup. soup is like one of my favorite things. I can eat soup. I, I live soup. in Vegas. It's like 115 degrees probably outside right now. I can eat soup throughout the entire year. I don't okay. care. I love soup, but any like meat with a carb mixed in a bowl, I'm there. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm there. Throwing the bowl. Throwing a bowl. Just it. get that spoon and just mm. shovel. Well. Ellie, we are just so grateful to know you and have you in our sphere. I think you are doing so much incredible work in the world. Thank you for the way that you're showing up. And thank you for being a resource, not only for us, but for now our listeners to um, support the men in their lives, the men who are listening. And I just, I, I really appreciate your heart. And I feel like every time I sit down with you, we get in these wraps where it's just such a good time. So such an honor to know you, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime, if I can help you guys in any way, just reach out, please. Anytime. Let us know to where um, our people can find you before you jump off. Yeah. So Instagram is Ellie Weinstein underscore LCSW. I got a website, Ellie Weinstein LCSW.com. Or you can check me out on the Dude Therapist podcast as well. I'm just a dude who's a therapist who has a show. <laughs> it's not just a podcast for dudes. Um, and it's a, a fun place. So please reach out anytime you can. Awesome. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.